This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Hillary Hatch. Dr. Hatch is a clinical psychologist, and she's also the vice president of clinical engagement at Freesia. Freesia is this brilliant company that works on intake of patients in a contactless way. They've been a true leader here and, and really emerged as a, a doubled or quadrupled down as a leader in the space with some of the best health systems in the world through the COVID-19 period. Freesia is now involved in addition to working with vaccine hesitancy and helping health systems to sit there, sort of get past vaccine hesitancy because vaccination is so important to returning the United States and the world back to normal. Today, we're going to talk to Hillary Hatch about these issues. We'll be talking about COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy, very timely topic. Uh, Dr. Hatch, we had a chance to visit last year with Kayim Indig uh, to chat about Freesia's efforts during COVID-19 in contactless intake processes. Maybe take a moment first to introduce yourself, and then we'll get going with the, the substance of the discussion around vaccine hesitancy and Freesia's involvement in that. Can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Scott, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and especially really excited to talk about this topic. As a psychologist, as someone with a long history in public health and working with vulnerable populations, and given what we've been had the opportunity to do with Freesia today, I'm particularly excited. I am a psychologist, and uh, my role at Freesia is right, vice president of clinical engagement. And that means that I work with our provider organizations to help them meet the challenges that they're facing, especially in terms of the clinical outcomes they're seeking. And, and could you take a moment and tell us, how did Freesia get itself involved in and start working with vaccine hesitancy and related issues? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we really see our health systems and provider organizations facing kind of these twin challenges right now. They're ramping up capacity and throughput for everyone who wants the vaccine, but at the same time, they see this coming issue of addressing hesitancy in everyone who doesn't want the vaccine. So sort of think of it as, oh my God, what do I do with everyone who wants the vaccine, that intense demand, but at the same time, oh my God, what am I gonna do with everyone who doesn't want the vaccine? And it was sort of obvious how Freesia would be put against the first issue, dealing with demand, intake, outreach, scheduling, bringing patients in in kind of this really effective way to have a good experience and go out and tell all their friends that it was great. But really the second issue started to emerge mid-fall. We started to hear from CMOs and uh, CEOs of health systems saying that they felt they'd be held accountable for how equitably the vaccine was distributed. And they were really looking to us there to use other Freesia capabilities, our ability to survey patients at scale on intake and get data on vaccine hesitancy in their communities and really understand patients' concerns. So we started asking, how likely are you to get the vaccine when it's available? And then we would ask, well, how likely would you be to get it if your doctor or nurse recommends it? We were asking patients about their motivations, their concerns, and to date, we've surveyed over 200,000 patients. We're working with a group called Convince USA, uh, funded by the CDC Foundation and the Commonwealth Fund to really survey patients and ultimately to deliver really tailored messaging to help address those concerns. And take a moment and talk about hesitancy with the COVID-19 vaccine. And how different are patient concerns from other vaccines like the flu and so many other things that people are used to taking or vaccines that they've just become familiar with? 
Yeah, I think in some ways it's incredibly similar, but there are some particular differences. So with COVID-19 vaccines, we're seeing a very wide range of hesitancy, and that's so important in terms of strategy. So there are your truly anti-vaccine folks, and they'll be the same with the flu. But with COVID-19 vaccine, you see a lot of people that are wait and see, or I'm pretty much ready, but I have a few outstanding questions. So there's a big maybe group. And it's really important to meet people where they are, to know where they are on that spectrum. If someone is truly anti-vaccine, then they still have concerns about keeping their, themselves and their family safe. So you want to talk to them about masking up and social distancing for the long haul. But many, many people are in the maybe category. They have questions. They have concerns. It's really important to listen to those, be non-judgmental, and respond to those concerns. From a behavioral science perspective, I think there are very distinct strategies, even among the maybes. So you kind of have what's true with every flu season. You want to close the intention gap, and that's what behavioral scientists call it, which is get everybody who intends to get the vaccine to get the vaccine. And that's, that's usually with flu vaccine. That's 40% of the people end up getting it, but about 60 say they're planning on getting it. So you want to close that gap of those people. But when people are hesitant, you're not going to nudge them out of that. You're not going to send them endless reminders. That's not going to change their mind. So there's really a difference with intention gap. It's make it easy, convenient, frictionless, make it feel safe, make clear that they're not going to be any additional costs. With hesitancy, you want to answer to those concerns and really interact with the person. So Freesia does it digitally, digitally interacting with patients. And we can do that at an individual level and see the data at a larger level and develop personas and targeted interventions. But you can also just ask people. Dr. Hatch, thank you so much. You were talking about how amongst elderly populations, there's a much higher level of vaccine intentionality with the COVID vaccine that up to 80% of elderly patients see themselves as wanting to get the vaccine which makes sense given that that's been one of the communities that's been hardest hit by COVID-19. You've also talked about different ethnic groups and different types of races, and, and there's been a lot of talk amongst about hesitancy and race, particularly hesitancy amongst Black Americans and uh, other communities that have been particularly hard hit by COVID-19. What are your thoughts on how do you address some of that hesitancy amongst, for example, Black Americans or other communities it might be vaccine hesitant, but, they, but, it, but they've also been some of the hardest hit communities by COVID-19. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people are having a really hard time getting their head around. So, and I'm glad you asked about it. So national surveys have headlines like people of color are more hesitant or big headlines like black Americans are hesitant about COVID-19 vaccines because of the Tuskegee experiment. And I have a problem with those big headlines in a few ways. One, it's very hard to take action on these sort of big, gross statements like that. And it's also sometimes used by people as an excuse to do nothing. So I think we shouldn't be so quick to point to historic racism and historic trauma as the reason why folks might be hesitant to get the vaccine. As you pointed out, there's plenty of present day health disparity and trauma that's been happening during COVID-19. People are losing multiple family members. They're seeing devastating loss in some vulnerable communities. And some essential worker groups 
have had a much higher rate of COVID-19 uh, infection. And they may have felt during COVID that they didn't have adequate PPE or they were put in unsafe work situations. So you've really got kind of cumulative trauma that's coming out of this. And Tuskegee is a memory that's kept alive by things that are happening today. So, you know, we have to break down these headlines a little bit. And another way we can do that is to really understand that people are multidimensional. They're not just African-American, but they live somewhere and they work somewhere. And our hypothesis, and stay tuned because we'll be releasing this data when we have more numbers, but that it's this multidimensionality is where you see really, truly dangerous levels of hesitancy because these are groups that live or work together and are hesitant across multiple dimensions, including race, where they live, and their worker group. And that puts them perhaps in a group of people where there are enough hesitant people that we could see outbreaks. So let me give you an example of sort of a fictional character. Let's imagine a long-term care facility worker who's Jamaican-American, who, you know, is it really Tuskegee that's making her hesitant? Or during COVID, did she lose a parent? Did she get COVID herself or feel not really that protected by the same employer that's now offering her or maybe even pressuring her to get a vaccine? but still not providing her with adequate protection or PPE. So, you know, people come by their mistrust rightly. And one of our questions or our hypotheses is, would this long-term care worker be uh, more likely to accept the vaccine if it was recommended to her specifically by her doctor or nurse? And we don't know that for sure, but our hypothesis is yes. Your point, one of the things you said is so powerful is that if we're not careful, systems, government, communities can use vaccine hesitancy as an excuse for why disproportionately vulnerable populations don't get vaccinated because they, they, can, they can almost write it off as it wasn't our fault that we can get vaccines to them. They were hesitant. And, and we see the counter to that in some great efforts by organizations like, I'll give an example, Atrium Health, which is doing mass vaccinations. And, and trying to, you know, bring the churches, the African-American black churches out first to get some of those vaccines. And the same thing by Common Spirit Health. By chance, both of those organizations led by black Americans, but two of the greatest health systems in the country, were trying to counter some of this. And your point, that if we don't counter some of those big headlines, it can almost be used as an excuse to, to rationalize the under-vaccination of certain communities, which would be a, a, a real disaster. So I, I love your thoughts on this, Dr. Hatch. You've mentioned a lot about trust in communities. You use the example, and it's a, it's a brilliant example of the nursing home worker who feels like they've been inadequately protected by their, their, their own employer. They've not been given PPE, and now they're pushed on the other side, get this vaccine, and, and they feel it's almost part of a marketing ploy where they want to be able to tell all the residents, all of our employees have been vaccinated versus really for the good of the employee. And so you end up with this real mistrust issue on different levels. It's really fascinating. How do you build that trust with patients? You mentioned one example of having the message come from doctors or nurses. But again, if the doctors or nurses are employed by the nursing home and they felt that they don't have the trust in the nursing home, that might not go that far. But how are some, what are some things that can be done to build trust? Yeah. So 
I'm going to say a really kind of tough statement on this. I don't think you can build trust and I don't think you can build it overnight, more importantly. So you can build up capacity and Frisia, uh, you know, uh, is certainly an example of that. We can sort of turn a system up that's doing 60 vaccines a day and get them to a thousand, no problem. You can outsource vaccinators. You can bring in a whole group of workers to that. But trust is not something you can just turn the volume up on overnight. You have to earn it. So like the examples that you just gave, you have to take the vaccine where the trust is. So what are people doing? And we see this in every health system and FQHC we're working with, that they're pulling on those relationships, like the ones you mentioned with Atrium and Common Spirit. They're going to the community and finding the faith leaders to help them in these efforts and trying to meet people where they are and get leaders in the communities who have the trust and they're going to take the vaccine to them. But again, also it's personal doctors. And again, it's not doctors. It's not Dr. Anthony Fauci, much as all of us love him. It's your personal doctor that is one of the most trusted messengers. And that holds up across race and ethnicity. So again, you can imagine this long-term care facility worker, the doctor at her place of employment may not be convincing, but her personal doctor or nurse that she's known for a long time might be way more convincing to her. And in our data, one of the things that we're starting to see emerge is that something on uh, around 16% of survey respondents that were that come into the to the first question and answer that they're somewhat unlikely or only somewhat likely or very unlikely to get the vaccine. If we then say, what about if your doctor recommends it? It actually changes the likelihood of them getting the vaccine. So 16% of them will then say, well, then yes, I'd be more likely to get the vaccine. So I'm probably speaking to the choir here because folks that listen to your podcast really believe in what the power is of the relationship between doctor and patient. But it's really important to fight to keep vaccines in doctor's offices, and especially as we get close to having the J&J one-dose vaccine when it becomes available. It could be in every provider office in any visit. You know, it's fascinating. It really is. And, the, and you know, in that, in that provider-patient relationship, the perceptions of it, the polling perceptions of it go up and down over time. And, and it's a fascinating, fascinating perspective. And, and it really is. Dr. Hatch, healthcare systems, Freesia works with some of the most prestigious healthcare systems in the world. Um, how can they go about identifying and addressing vaccine hesitancy? Yeah, we are we are really proud and impressed with how our partners are addressing this issue. So what they're doing and what we're doing together and what we recommend is start surveying your patients, get that data, understand those dangerous pockets of hesitancy in your community. So asking about hesitancy and making a strong personal recommendation to every patient to get the vaccine at every visit. Now, Health systems can do it digitally with us, but regardless, they should be doing it and using that and leveraging that incredibly special relationship. Um, And then the last thing I'd say is health systems don't typically have the data on if someone is an essential worker. So asking people about, are you an essential worker? Asking them about that status and the specific words, you know, are you a grocery store worker? Do you work in public transit? 
And right now we see a lot of groups because they don't have that data being sort of forced to just target the people that are 65 and above, but finding out who's an essential worker and offering the vaccine. So if a home health aide or a public transit worker goes to their doctor today, and if their doctor doesn't know they're eligible and doesn't make that recommendation, it's a big myth. So leveraging that incredibly important asset, the trust that every provider has built with their patients, those extra numbers, those extra percentage points that I was talking about before, that's what brings us to herd immunity. So again, we have to get the vaccine to where the trust is to solve this issue. Fantastic. Dr. Hatch, I want to thank you for the work that you do. Brilliant thoughts on vaccine hesitancy about the best explanation I've heard so far. And the point on racist and people being multidimensional, that people come from very different, even if they're of one race, one ethnic, whatever they are, they're not just that. They're many, many different things, which is it's so important to understand. And, and I love this concept of not allowing communities off the hook because of the perception of big headlines of vaccine hesitancy. Uh, not not allowing governments, not allowing the rest of us off the hook because of perceptions of, of community hesitancy. Just a magnificent thought. I want to thank you and Frisia for your time today. A pleasure visiting with you on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you, Scott.